Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Genesis chapter 40, as we continue to look at the life of Joseph, we're going to begin over the next four sermons to look at Joseph's character. Today we're going to talk about Joseph's character, the first part, how it is we guard ourselves. Before we move into the text, let me ask you a question to kind of set our thinking for the day. When was the last time you were disappointed? The last time you were disappointed, as I, I didn't even think about this originally, but as I prepared this morning uh, for the services, I began to think, well, that shouldn't take very long back through the days of our life to remember that, right? When was the last time you were disappointed and how did you handle it? Did it test you? Did, did anything come from it? Maybe you were passed over for a promotion at work. Maybe you didn't make a high enough grade that you felt like you should have made or that you thought you would have made. Maybe you felt in some way that you're hidden from being noticed or recognized or rewarded in some sense. Maybe it, it, it can be something as simple as, as you don't feel like you have enough followers or friends or likes or views. You know, sometimes we can really diminish the value of those things and laugh them off, right? But in a day and time that we live in, it, it, it's not really about how shallow the disappointment or how deep the disappointment. The issue I want you to deal with today is, have you experienced disappointment on any end of the spectrum? And what did you do with it? How did you handle it? How did you respond? Few people handle disappointment well, right? Unless you've been through enough and you've learned enough to handle it. Why? Well, disappointment, it's a denial of desire. And when we experience disappointment, it's because we had some desire that was denied in some way, shape, form, or manner. And you see, how we handle disappointment and hardship both reveals but also develops our character more into the likeness of Jesus. And that's what we're going to see today. Today, God often uses disappointments to reveal for us where it is that he's working. That's what we're going to see in Genesis 14, that it's actually in the disappointment where God is working. Joseph finds himself in a very disappointing situation, but he guards his heart so that his disappointment does not hinder his faithfulness. Let's go to Genesis 40. I'm going to read the first eight verses that kind of give us the overall trajectory of the narrative and then we'll continue with the message sometime after this the cupbearer of the king of egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord the king of egypt and pharaoh was angry with his two officers the chief cupbearer and the chief baker and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where joseph was confined the captain of the guard appointed joseph to be with them and he attended them they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison. You see how he keeps reminding us of where they are? Each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. 
When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Let's pause there. Ask God to bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding and the obeying of his word today. This chapter begins by stating that some time had passed. I fear too often when we read the Old Testament, I think this is a threat for all of us, that when chapter 39 ends and chapter 40 begins, we foresee that it covers about as long of a span of time as it takes our eyes to move from the end of one to the beginning of the other. But really what's transpired between those two chapters is a couple of years, a couple of years later. And and what we're learning is that Joseph's been in prison all this time. Let's not forget the context here. And what the the writer is is trying to tell us is that this has not been a short period. but, But time continues to pass and life continues to move on and Joseph continues to be in prison. In prison where he remained faithful and he excelled, but nonetheless he is still in prison. And at the introduction, or at the beginning of chapter 40, we see the introduction of two characters, the cupbearer and the chief baker for Pharaoh. Now these are important characters because the cupbearer and the baker were charged with the oversight of not only the drink or the wine and the food for Pharaoh, but they also were the last ones to taste it to make sure that there was not a subversive plan to poison the Pharaoh so that if there was, they would die instead of him. So not every great job is as great as it may seem in all of its responsibilities, right? But they did something to make Pharaoh mad. And he put them in prison where it tells us Joseph was confined. Where he was confined in prison. Verses 3 and verse 4 and verse 5. Joseph is confined in prison. Joseph is confined in prison. Over an extended period of time, guess where Joseph is? Confined in prison. So they had been there some time when they both had a dream one night. And when Joseph comes to them in the morning, he recognized that they were troubled and he shows concern for them by asking, why Why are you so downcast? And they tell him, well, we've both had a dream, but there's no one to interpret. Who typically would have done this? Well, they would have called for the necromancers and for the astrologers and all of the other worldly arts to come and tell us the interpretation of this dream. But they can't get to those people because, well, they're confined in prison where Joseph is. If we forgot. And so Joseph says to them, well, dreams belong to God. Why don't you tell me what your dream is and let's see if God gives an interpretation. How do you think Joseph knew that? Because Joseph had a dream. And all these years, Joseph never got over his dream. Because his dream never got out of him. And so he listens to the cupbearer first. And when he hears the cupbearer's dream, he tells the cupbearer, this is the interpretation that you will be restored in three days. But he says something interesting to him after he says that. He says, when you are restored, I want to request that you remember me and mention me to Pharaoh that I'm still here because I would like to get out of prison. I was put here unjustly. 
You see, Joseph is so confident of the dream's interpretation that he requests of the cupbearer that he would be remembered and mentioned to Pharaoh when he got out. Or in other words, when the interpretation of the dream was fulfilled and made true. Well, the chief baker's watching all of this and he goes, wow, that worked out really well for the cupbearer. I want to tell you my dream as well. So he recounts his dream to Joseph but his outcome is very different. Joseph says, well, you, you too will be restored in three days to Pharaoh. But instead of being put back in your position, you will be killed and the birds will eat your flesh. I can't imagine that that's the direction the chief baker saw this whole thing going. Right? He was like, what? No, that's not, why don't I get his interpretation? Right? But that's what he told him. So on the third day, it was Pharaoh's birthday. And he brought the two out of prison in a celebration. And the cupbearer was restored and the baker was hanged. But listen to what the writer says. Because that's where we need to hone in on our attention. The writer says, as Joseph had interpreted. Did you hear that? What got Joseph into this? Was he said to the two, dreams belong to God. Tell them to me and see if he will not give you an interpretation. And when all things were fulfilled, the writer reminds us that they were fulfilled as Joseph had interpreted them. You see, chapter 40 comes to an end this way. Yet, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Wow. Forgot him. So what we see in chapter 40 is it builds to this huge crescendo. I mean, things are clicking for Joseph. Like, like it's not all good for the baker, but for the chief cupbearer, exactly what Joseph said came about in the exact way that he said. His interpretations were correct. But the chapter ends with a huge disappointment for Joseph. Ends with a huge disappointment for us too. I mean, if we're, if we're rooting for Joseph here, we're like, come on. Where's his break? How many times does he have to do good things to get out of bad places that he shouldn't have been in to begin with? But it ends with a huge disappointment. It's not the way you saw this ending. And here's what we must be reminded of, friends. Life is full of disappointment. Circumstances disappoint us. Some we didn't see coming and some we knew full well would come. They still disappoint us. People disappoint us. Joseph was forgotten by the cupbearer. That's the last thing we read in this chapter. Forgotten. Decisions disappoint us. Circumstances, situations. The fact of the matter is, We often go through times where we're even disappointed with God if we're honest with ourselves. Have you been there? Disappointed with what you knew God was doing or the fact that you didn't know what God was doing? But here's what we can trust. God will never abandon us. Never abandon us. You see, disappointment doesn't mean that God is not working or that God cannot be trusted but rather that he is still working out for his greater glory. Now, I want to press upon you today in likely some ways that may be tender 
even now, but surely are difficult and challenging for us all. Genesis chapter 40 and next week in chapter 41, we'll see Joseph's rise back to power. But it's a very indirect path and it is fraught with adversity and disappointment. And you see, Joseph demonstrates for us that right decisions are not always immediately rewarded. Makes us ask, how many times can Joseph be unjustly treated and not get angry over it? Come on, Joseph. I want to see you get mad, man. Let's do something about this, right? I mean, isn't there just a little bit of that in the reading of the text? But remember what this third section of our Genesis study is all about. In the first part, Genesis 1 through 11, we studied provenance, the origins of life. Where did we come from? In the second portion of Genesis, we learned about purpose and who we are and what that means for us. But listen to me, friends. From chapter 37 till chapter 50 of Genesis, this is the theme that we will continue to explore, to unpack, and hopefully faithfully apply to our life is perspective. Perspective about God, perspective about our life, and perspective about all things that are in this world. And I'm telling you what Joseph is undergoing today is helping him and helping us gain a healthy perspective perspective of God, of self, and of life in that order. And here's one perspective we must not forget. Joseph's greatest setback arose out of his greatest moral victory. Wait, wait, that went the wrong way at the end there, right? That's not the way things work, right? It is the way life works, friends. And we know this all too well, but we don't want to acknowledge it far too often. Joseph's greatest setback arose out of his greatest moral victory when he resisted the advances of Potiphar's wife. You see, God's reward always serves God's purposes first, not just our immediate desires. This doesn't mean that our desires are unimportant to God, but that God's plan was that Joseph would get out, but Joseph didn't know that, nor did he know when. He had no idea. You see, friends, God holds as highest glory the redemption of his people, not just the immediate victories in this world. If anything, the cross of Jesus Christ should remind us of this. What looked like defeat on Friday turned out to be eternal glory and victory over all things on Sunday. And so it is with his people. God uses his people to bring his greater glory to fruition. And that's the role of Joseph that we are studying. You see, Joseph, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is God's chosen instrument by which he would save his people in this text. And we'll see that. But he prefigures as a type one who would come ultimately to save his people, Jesus Christ. And so the overriding issue in Joseph's life of humiliation was the purposes of God for the salvation of Israel's forefathers and the nations. If Joseph had not been where Joseph was placed by God, first in prison before upon prominence, God would not have been able to use him 
for the greater purpose that he had intended for him. I hope you're listening to this for your own life. But I want you to understand Joseph's disappointment was God's plan. And so frequently, if we're looking to Christ, our own disappointment can be the very plan that God has for us as well. You see, what's most important here is not just what happened to the prisoners or to Joseph. That that he did the right thing, he should get the right reward. But rather what God is doing in salvation of his people. That's always most important. Joseph was like Jesus. He learned obedience through suffering. And if our Lord and Master learned obedience through suffering, who are we to get a shortcut around it? Rather, why not seek the Lord and have him bring greater glory through it and in us because of it. God's perfect plan held a greater glory for Joseph than just fulfilling his immediate desire. God always holds a greater glory for the Christian's life too. You see, it's always important to first remember what God is doing, but it can be so easy to get our eyes off of him in the midst of it. We don't know all that Joseph thought or felt in this situation. We, we can surmise and speculate about how he felt. And we know that he was disappointed at times, surely, because the text tells us in the way that he responded. But here's what we should understand. What we can and must do is to monitor Joseph's actions in order to trace his faith in understanding how it was that God led him through his disappointment and how God will be faithful to lead us through ours as well. Joseph models for us how it is we stay focused on Jesus and faithful to his word so our heart does not fill with bitterness of self-pity or of bloated pride. God is working, friends. We we see that from Genesis 1.1. God is a working God. He is not a stagnant God. God is a speaking God. He is not a silent God. God is working. We must trust him because we can trust him. And in the end, what Joseph did by his actions proved what he really believed. You see, Joseph's actions reveal his character. It reveals the shape of his heart that he remained surrendered to God's work even when there was no outward evidence of his working, only the promise of his word which came through his dream to Joseph. The psalmist asks and answers this same question in Psalm 119.9 when he says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. You see, sometimes we go to God asking for a word and he knows that the one he's already given us will be sufficient if we'll trust it. But we want a fresh word. We want a new word. We tried that word. It was hard. So we want a new word, God. Right? Are you hearing, are you hearing me? Oh, you're hearing me. I can see it. You see, keeping our way pure is essential to keeping our heart pure. The source of our life. That's why Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. It's not your strength. It's not your ability. It's not even the volition of your will or the acuteness of your intellect 
or the heaviness of your emotions. It's the heart from where God has placed his life. Character in our life is always formed by that which fills our heart. And becoming more like Jesus begins with guarding our hearts in him. So how did Joseph guard his heart in doing so much right with so little reward? Here's what I want you to see today, friends. And take hold of this until it takes hold of you. Christians guard their heart to become like Jesus when we remember God's promise to remember us. When we remember God's promise to remember us. I want to offer to you five remembrances today to guard your heart and to grow your character in Jesus' image. First of all, remember you are never outside of God's sovereign control. Never outside of God's sovereign control. Where Joseph was, where was he? Uh, Confined in the prison, as we've already seen here three times in the text. He was perfectly positioned in God's eyes. Confined in the prison in the text. That's what we see here, friends. He was perfectly positioned to display God's sovereign control over what he was doing. But his perfect position and the way he arrived there was anything but desirable. As a matter of fact, it it had questions that couldn't be answered because there was no solid answer to them. He had plenty of opportunity to believe that where he was was somewhere God would never be able to use him. But he didn't let himself go there. Why? Because God had promised that he would use him. God had given him that dream and he was holding that dream. And subsequently that dream was holding him. He held to God's promise knowing God would be faithful. Why? Because that's who he knew God to be. And when you don't know where you are, when you don't know who you are, and when you can't figure out what in the world is going on, don't ever get away from this. Know who God is because he will be the same as he's always been. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus descended to the lowest place, death, in humble obedience to God. And that was where God worked powerfully to resurrect him. You see, if God is only able to use you where you are able to get to, God will never get glory from you or through you. Why? Because you're able to do it all. You can't prove it was God. God often puts his people in unimaginable and inconceivable situations. Why? So when his work is performed, it demonstrates his power in a way that only he can be glorified from it. No matter where you are, you are never outside of God's sovereign control and his resurrecting power. That's the way God works. You don't have to wonder if he'll work that way for you. But he may need to lower you in order to show his greater glory to you and through you. The second remembrance is remember we live as faithful stewards because of who we trust, not because of our situation or our limitation. Because of who we trust, we live as faithful stewards. Joseph trusted where God placed him and he did what was in his control to do So to not be consumed by what was beyond his control. 
Is it not interesting that when we find ourselves in hard situations or under, shall we say, severe limitations, whatever causes them, so often we throw off hope and even the exercise of doing what we can do, and in that place we often become over come with what is not possible to be done. But what we see with Joseph is he did what he could do so long as he couldn't control what was being done around him. Friends, we, we have to understand that when we, when we have a biblical perspective of God, a biblical perspective of our life, and a biblical perspective of the world, we come to learn that life is full of limiting factors. Some because of us, but many that are outside of our control. And how it is that we see and how it is that we live in our situation and handle our own limitations will determine whether we become better or bitter. You see that? Jesus says, the one who is faithful in very little will also be faithful in much. And the one who's dishonest in a very little will also be dishonest in much. You see, friends, faithfulness to God is not determined by our situation nor by our limitation, but by our faithful stewardship. What we do with where we are and what we have. Your situation is never your limitation unless your goal is is your glory. That's the only way it can be limiting for you. God will use you where you are. And he will use you not only in bigger ways than you think you can be used. But in bigger ways than you think your situation or your limitation could allow you to be used. You, you see, Joseph wasn't just a servant to Pharaoh. He was at the bottom rung below that in the prison. And what's going to transpire in the next chapter is he will go from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high that quick. God can accomplish more in an instant than you can in compounded multiple lifetimes. But he can only do that if you stay surrendered to him. God doesn't need your big situation to make a big impact. He is the big impact. That's what we've got to learn, friends. If we only whine and complain in our bad situation, we'll only gloat and indulge when things go right for us. Man, do you see what I did? Wow, I didn't even know I did it, but boy, I did well at it. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought you wanted out. I thought you wanted God to do something, and yet, you're taking all the credit and all the glory. In the good and the bad, friends, Christ followers faithfully steward our lives to bear a faithful witness for the gospel that our lives are not our own, but we are for God. And in the midst of this, our character, who we are, is forged in difficult situation as our heart is shaped by those challenging circumstances. How we handle what's outside our control will determine what kind of character we are forming within. Every disappointment, yea, even on the other end of the spectrum, every celebration shapes our heart either for God in praise and thanksgiving to Him or against God in frustration and bitterness. You see, friends, character of life is determined by what fills the heart in hard times and in heavy situations, as well as good times and high celebrations. Faithfulness in hard situations and within limitations 
should fill our hearts with the gospel to forge a Christ-like character. Why? Because as we remain faithful to God by obeying his word, no matter what's going on around us, we can know he is working within us and he is bringing those things to us as our what? Good. That's what Romans 8, 28 through 30 is all about. That, That God takes nothing And makes good out of it. That's what Genesis 1 is all about. Creatio ex nihilo. That's where we began all of this. That God took nothing and made something and saw it and said, that's good. That's really good. Like, good. And that's what he does in your life, too. You got nothing to offering perfect. You're the perfect material for God to bring good from. Let him work. Have you learned to praise and thank God in every situation? With all of your limitations? Or do you just find yourself more frustrated and embittered by them? You say, what do we do? Repent. Stop believing the things about yourself that cause you to be frustrated with yourself when you don't measure up to your own understanding. And set your eyes on the one who created you in the flesh and who has redeemed you in the spirit. And ask him that your one expectation for life would be him and him alone. And you becoming ever more like him in this life. And whatever may come, give praise to God for what he's going to bring through it. That's not easy. But friends, if you'll practice it, you will learn it. The third remembrance is remember Stay focused by serving others and pointing them to God. Joseph didn't let his restrictions of limitations or his frustrations by his situation cause him to become self-focused. He showed concern and compassion for others beyond what was only required of him. In other words, he, he's the head of the prison. <laughs> like, I, I don't, that, that's like I'm in charge of nothing. I'm in charge of the most unimportant thing in the world, right? I mean, I'm in head of the nobodies. I mean, I I don't know, you know, how you put that banner over your door to tell everybody how important you are. But nonetheless, nobody knows or cares we're down here, but we can't leave. But I'm in charge of all you nobodies, right? I mean, he could have come and thrown the slop in and walked away and not cared. Nobody was going to ask how he was treating the prisoners, But Joseph couldn't get over how he'd been treated. By Pharaoh? No. By Potiphar? No. By Potiphar's wife? No. By his brothers? No. By the whole world? No. By God. By God. He couldn't get over what he had experienced from God and what God had done in his heart and in his life. Why? Because that's what filled his heart. And so on that morning when he walked in, he saw that their faces were downcast. And instead of just delivering his duty, he paused for a moment and he saw and asked, why? What's wrong with you guys this morning? There's more hope than the dark dinginess of this prison. And they said, well, we both had a dream. And the hope of the world that we normally could have gone to is gone. What do we do now? And Joseph said, I know a hope that transcends the dingiest walls you'll ever experience. You see, friends, he showed concern and compassion according to the concern and the compassion and the love and the favor of God that had been shown to him. 
A defining phrase of Joseph's life is the steadfast love and favor of God was upon him. And that's what he is showing to the prisoners here. Whining and complaining is always sinful. And it always fuels greater sin. It often fuels deeper confusion, even deception. But friends, praise and thanksgiving cuts through the cloud to bring hope that will not come without it. Yes, Joseph wanted out, but he didn't let his desire drive his decisions of what to do in the meantime. Have you ever been there? Are are you going to figure this out? If God's going to forget about you, you're going to have to figure out a way. Have you ever made a decision that sounded something like that? Are you just going to trust God, be content with where he's got you, but be faithful to serve in the way that he would want to? You see, he couldn't do everything, but that didn't stop him from doing something. He used his hardship to change him instead of embitter him so that he could be used by God to serve others for God as he had been served by God. And that's the Christian testimony of all that God has done for us, friends. Our testimony should never culminate in look at me and how blessed I am. God's blessing is not given to us so that people will look at us. God's blessing is given to us so that as we serve other people, they see us, see through us, and see the God who is for us. Let your good deeds be done in such a way among men that they see the good deed and the one it came through and give glory to God. The one who really gets God's blessing will share it by serving others to point them to the source of it, Jesus Christ. The fourth reminder, remember Joseph told the truth in love as he understood it both good and bad. We love to tell the good stuff, don't we? Oh, I got to post this on social media. Maybe I'll be the first. I got to text this to somebody. I got to get this out. I got to share it. I got to give it. But we often run from and avoid the hard stuff. Um, You know, Joseph could have said, cupbearer, this is what's going to happen to you. It's going to be good, man. And then to the baker, good luck. (laughs) We'll see, right? I mean, he could have said, I'm not seeing anything right now because he didn't want to tell him the hard stuff. But friends, listen to me. Christians tell the truth no matter where it leads. Am I saying we all perform that way every day? No, I'm not saying that. I'm telling you our conviction is it is truth we desire because it is truth we worship because the one we worship is truth. All truth is his truth. We never need fear truth. And that's why Joseph told the truth. That was hard and good. And the harder the truth the greater the compassion we should demonstrate in its telling. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.15 that speaking the truth in love, we grow up into him. You see, we fail to grow up in Christ's likeness, in his character in our own life when we fail to tell the truth, but also when we tell something other than the truth. And sometimes when we have to speak it, It occurs in us. And other times, we need to hear it. We need to be ready to receive both of those. But when we learn to love truth more than feelings, we commit to the practice of it for the good we know it brings that bears witness to God. Speaking hard truth with exceptional love and compassion 
always compounds the greatest grace in your life and the life of others, and often with the fastest return and the greatest reward. Number five, remember, immediate reward doesn't always follow right action. But as the chapter ends, so we hear something resonate about God, it is never forgotten by him. The cupbearer forgot Joseph. God will not forget you. Joseph was right, big time. But it didn't equal an immediate reward. You see, friends, sometimes success isn't about reward. Sometimes doing the right thing is about demonstrating the righteousness of God that is taking root in you. And we as God's people, we need to learn to savor that. Delayed gratification can be one of the greatest catalysts for growth and maturity. You know who knows that? Those who've walked through those lessons and have humbled themselves in the midst of delayed gratification. You know who hasn't learned that? When gratification is delayed and they go find their own way and then they got another mess to clean up. That's personal testimony. In the same way, forced gratification and reward, especially when repeated regularly, will always be a shortcut to fumblings, to failings, and to failures most every time. The Christian understands both of these, delayed gratification and forced gratification, or not forcing it, are always found along the path to godliness. Friends, listen to me. Godliness is its own reward for the godly. Righteousness is the reward for the righteous. Christ is our reward. He is not the giver of it only. That's that's what the Christian life is all about. Not that we get something from God, but we get God. How we need to learn this, that that when we walk in righteousness, it brings more of Jesus' peace, more of his love, more of his joy, as we are made more like him. And this shapes everything that we see, the way we see God, the way we see ourselves, and the way we see the whole world. Why? Because he is good. He is the giver of good. He will not forget. The Bible tells us he does not forsake us. He does not leave us. It is telling us he will not forget us. Christian, we guard our heart to become like Jesus when we remember God's promise to remember us. He will not forget you. Remember him. Let's pray.